Oh, this is going to be a good one. You're listening to Pete the Planner. This week on the Pete the Planner show, we don't answer your money questions. Yeah, I know. The whole show, the premise of the show is to answer your questions. This week, we're not. We're talking about other things. Uh, and by we, I mean Damian Dunn, Director of Personal Financial Strategies, joins me in studio. Hello, Dame. Hey, Pete. Uh, good to be with you. Same here. Okay, awesome. There was a question mark. Uh, so, Dame, we're going to just hit some random stuff this week. We, it's been a long time since we've done a stock market update. It has. And since people listen to this program at different times, they listen to it at real time on a Sunday on the radio. Sometimes they listen to it on a podcast. We don't know. We're going to have to use some dates, but we are going to do a market update today. We're also going to talk about accountability in your financial life. And one of those things that provides accountability, we'll provide another topic for today, and that is goal setting. All that and more. Dame, this part of the program is a little uh, section we like to call How You Doing. So, how you doing? I'm doing all right. How all right, market doing? update. Oh. Let's get to it. Um, so, uh, we've looked at the numbers. We've looked at the numbers. But let's just try to pull back from that. How do you think it's going in the market this year? Like, what's it feel like? I think, um, on, from my point of view, I, I feel like it's going okay. Like if if I wasn't paying attention and if we hadn't peeked underneath the the hood here, I, I would say it just feels like a, a an average year so at this I point. One hundred percent agree, and and I would also uh, we have a couple of quick points. We're recording on July nineteenth. Mm -hmm. It's important that we know that. Um, number two, people often like to ask us about the market, and people like to think that we follow the market. And in the capacity of which we do our jobs and help people on a regular basis, the market doesn't matter. Like what it's doing doesn't impact our advice, our guidance, any of those things, because we don't talk about investments and securities. When we talk to people, we talk to them about the rest of their financial lives. Yeah, uh, for the vast, and this is true for the vast majority of people that, that listen to the show too. It, what the market does from year to year is really not that much of a consequence to how things are going to turn out for you in the long run. Um, if you are close to retirement within maybe that five-year window, if you haven't started paying attention to maybe how you're allocated, then it becomes a little bit more of a concern, but still nothing insurmountable. I was talking to a really, really smart person the other day. Like, I mean, you know. Nice. I'm not drawing a difference between talking to you and them. It's okay. Anyway, much smarter than you. And this guy, I mean, he knows a lot about money. Mm -hmm. Like. He has not been in the market at all in the last several years. He's sitting on the sidelines. You're kidding. I know. No, I'm not kidding. And I, I but that's how I felt. I think I actually said that to him. You're Did, kidding. Uh, you know, and he's younger. He's probably late 30s, mid to late 30s. There's a bunch of different ways I would start to question this and ask you if you know uh, what has he been doing. Did he get cash? Just, just he's got a lot cash. of money. Got a lot of money, but he's in cash. Does he have any kind of alternative investments? Is he heavy in real estate? Is he? Uh, I think he does some private investing um, in businesses and things. But I, I don't, I don't think. Yeah, it was really strange for me. Anyway, that being said, I bring that up because the market is well um, killing it right now. It's yeah. It feels like it's fine. The news cycle's so weird now. Mm -hmm. You just don't know. But here's the reality: the S and P five hundred, which is a a rather broad index mm -hmm. of 500 companies that people use to measure the market. 
Dame year to date as of July 19th when we record this, it's up 19.81%, which is bonkers. It's nuts. It's nuts. It's between two or three times what I both expect out of it and uh, want out of it. It's well outside of a standard deviation of yes. what, what you would expect. Pro- pop, probably even two at this point. It's it's crazy. And so I guess where I'm going with this is if you just stay in the market, you and I both tend to be buy and hold investors mm-hmm. personally, right? And, mm-hmm. and we encourage other people to look at that particular technique. That's not official advice. It's just our opinion. Um, these 19% years are great because you're not necessarily going for the 19%. You're just going for what the market gives you. And by God damn, it shows up on your door. It knocks and it's got 19.81% for you. Yeah, that's a that's a fun call to accept when you get that. And, and that's the thing. As you said, we're, we're buy and hold. We're, we're not trying to beat the market every year. We're not, we're not trying to prove that we're the smartest people in the room because that's frankly not something that we're going to win very often. If we can just do what the market does and do it efficiently and inexpensively, you're going to be okay. Even, and you said it before we started recording today, even if the market got punched in the teeth and had a, a you know, a 10% correction off of that, I don't know if it'd really matter. I mean, people would be frustrated, but it's still a good year. Sure. I, you're still going to end up uh, let's just say a 10% off of this and then it goes flat. Yeah. Okay. Average year. Yeah. I'll, Great. Give me my 8%. Yeah. I was talking to uh, an investment advisor friend. I had a lot of conversations You've this week. You've got friends. Well, I guess I shouldn't mention these people as friends. They all are friends, but it makes me seem like I'm just like, yeah. talk to Gary. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, he, he was talking about how some returns that he was showing clients recently were uh, a little bit, lower than what the market has delivered. And he was nervous about delivering these results, you know, because mm-hmm. the sure. person's trying to beat the market. But then he left out the major part, which is he's taking a lot less risk mm-hmm. than even what the market is doing. And so I, and so I, I said to him, um, look, if I'm getting 15% right now and I'm taking less risk, I'm not necessarily mad that I'm not getting the 19%. Of course, we didn't talk about fees, but that that would bother me. Sure. I, that that conversation is on the advisor from the inception of the relationship with that client to make sure that they understand that, okay, this is where we want you to go. This is the amount of risk we're willing to take. And if we're going to take less risk than what this, the standard market provides, we're going to have a little bit lower return. And if we can get close within this percentage, then, then it's going to be a successful year. So creating a reasonable benchmark for yourself to, to judge your performance against is, is crucial in that. So 15% you know, based on a, a reduced amount of exposure or risk in the market, uh, that's that's really good performance, I'm it's guessing. Al- it's also worth noting that sometimes the benchmark you're measuring against yourself, or you're measuring yourself against, isn't necessarily the S&P 500. Sure. Right? Because yeah. it's 100% full rich equity, and it's it's not blended with any other asset class. Yeah. So if you've got a, a very well diversified portfolio, which if you're working with an advisor, chances are you have, um, you're going to have a portion of that in equities, some of it in bonds, but your equities are going to be spread all over the map as well. Some U.S. based, some international based, and coming up with an appropriate benchmark is uh, sometimes a little bit more complicated than just saying, well, I'm going to take 60% of the S&P 500 and 40% of the Lehman aggregate smush those two together and that's going to be my benchmark. No, it may not be fair to you to do that. 
the NASDAQ, which is another market index, uh, year-to-date 24%. Man, what in the world? Right? Yeah. And uh, cryptocurrencies have had another nice run, too. Yeah, you know what? Since I sold, I, I, I don't know if I ever updated the audience. A couple of years ago or whatever, I bought uh, Bitcoin and whatnot on the air, then finally sold, I don't know, six weeks ago or so. Oh, as, really? it was, as it was, well, it was running up. It was running okay. up. I got back to even. I'm like, I'm done. I'm done. Are they still running up? Um, I think they've they've had a slight pullback, but they've they've had a pretty strong year. That's just nuts to see the market do this well, and you know, people can people credit the market doing this well for lots of different reasons, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they'll say you know executive leadership at the top. They'll say low interest rates. Mm-hmm. They'll say all sorts of things. I don't really get too caught up in any of that other than to say, market's pretty nice right now, and I'll take it. And I'll take a lot less, but I am certainly will take the 19 to 24% we're getting now. All day long. All day long. Dame, coming up after the break, uh, you want to hit goal setting or accountability first? Goal setting. We're talking goal setting. When we come back, uh, we're talking about how to set goals what they do it's just been a while since we've Mm -hmm. we've dealt with that so we will deal with it when we come back and then the third segment we're going to deal with accountability in general how to find an accountability partner and what that looks like you're listening to the pete the planner show damien dunn in studio i'm peter dunn and well yeah this is the show Back on the Pete the Planner show, talking goal setting. Damien Dunn in studio, as sometimes always. Uh, Damien, not answering questions this week, just hitting some topics that you know have been resonating with us as we serve people at your money line. And this is one of those times of year that goal setting will come in handy if you have goals in place and can propel you to a good second half of the year. Yeah, absolutely. Goals are an often overlooked component of a healthy financial life and man they can really make a difference if you if you do them right if you, you know, set yourself up for, for success by creating some goals here it, it takes a lot to impress me financially and then that's not to say that people have to have a lot of money but as i as i look at a financial situation and i and i think man that's impressive it usually is I feel that it's impressive because people have goals and they're consistently hitting them. They can they can express in a single short sentence what they're working on right now, why and when it's going to happen. Yeah, I, it's goal setting tends to make a whole lot of other things fall in line. You know, we got an email. I'm trying to find it here. I, we just got it. Uh, in here we go. Uh, hey, Pete, you helped me out in the past with a pension decision, so I wanted to share some good news. Guess what? We paid off our mortgage and all of our student loans this month. We own all of our vehicles, and the kids' college is paid for, except the two loans uh, that they took out, which is not our problem. So we're sitting here in our early 50s with no debt and earning our peak income, and it feels great. That is all. Thanks for what you do. This is a goal-setting family. Mm-hmm. There's a zero percent chance that these people don't set goals. Totally agree. And so let's talk about how to set goals and how to do that with a significant other when sometimes you just don't 
share the same sensibility or priorities when it comes to money. Dame, I tend to think there are three types of financial goals. There are consumption goals. Mm -hmm. uh, an example of that is uh, we're going to go on vacation mm -hmm. uh, in a few months, so we're going to save for that vacation, and then all the money will be consumed as mm -hmm. the vacation takes place. Or we need a new refrigerator, or we need a new concrete poured in our driveway, whatever. The money is consumed in the moment, uh, a very short time frame. And, and consumption goals are okay. Yes. And, and if you can plan for those things, even better. You know, they can be, there's a, there's a fine line between consumption goals and premeditated spending when it comes to like a bonus that's coming mm -hmm. or a tax refund. I wouldn't call those consumption goals. I, I had this client years and years ago when I was a financial advisor they got really, really healthy bonuses, and which is a pretty subjective way to say 50 grand a year, and they'd mm -hmm. all come at once. And I remember two years in a row, he bought BMWs. Okay. Right? So it was money that was consumed. The goal to buy the BMW was funded, but I wouldn't call that a consumption goal. I, I think it was really more premeditated consumerism. Sure. Didn't necessarily have to work. Well, he had to work for it, but he didn't have to behaviorally do anything. Right. Yeah. I, it's, I'm curious, w would he have still bought the car had he not got the bonus? No. You think he was disciplined enough to, it was just a reward for him that no, I, oh, it was I, I a got total, this It was a total, a guy was in his late 20s at the time making ridiculous money and it was a total reward for his hard work, which again, I, isn't terrible. I mean, there's worse things he could have done with it. He didn't go into debt. Mm -hmm. Actually, I don't know if there's worse things he could have done with it. He didn't go into debt. But it also is not a, uh, a consumption it's, goal. It's probably the best thing you could say is he didn't go into debt. <laughs> this is probably the best judgment I can give him. The next is a debt elimination goal, mm -hmm. which is definitely up the food chain mm -hmm. in a positive way. What would be down the food? No one cares. Uh, that is when you say, all right, I want to get rid of this amount of debt in this time frame, and then you get after it, and everything falls into line for that. Yeah, and it's important that you uh, set out something that's uh, measurable to, to judge how you're tracking against that goal that you set for yourself. So, is it uh, an extra fifty bucks a month towards that debt, a hundred bucks, whatever it may be, and and how, or you know, five hundred bucks in the next three months. You know, put some time limits on it and a, a number that is quantifiable, so you can actually decide if you succeeded or failed on that. Biggest mistake I see in that area is exactly what you're talking about. Someone says, you know, we'd love to have less debt by the end of 2019. Great. I mean, we, you really... Guess what? Make all your payments and you'll have less debt at the end of yeah. 2019. Don't get me wrong. I want people to have less debt by the 20, end of 2019, but if unless you quantify it, then when you make a poor decision in the course of a month, you're not holding yourself accountable to what the goal is. The whole point of goals, as we're going to talk really in the third segment, is to hold you accountable to something. Mm -hmm. Is that when you make a mistake or that you, you, know, you hit a bump, that you can look and say, it matters because you know, this decision, this mistake may prevent us from accomplishing this particular thing. You know, Dame, I had someone say to me once that they felt that goal setting was greedy in, in a way materialistic and that you you lose sight of living life and being in the present because you're constantly trying to get more. But Dame, where I think that is short-sighted is 
this isn't about stuff. This is about stability. Yeah, they, that person is uh, as genuine as they may have been with that comment, I think had the wrong perspective on what goals do for you. You don't have to set goals to try and uh, attain more. Goals can be used just as effectively as trying to maximize what you've already got. Dude, 100% agree. It's funny, perspectives on money are all over the place. I wrote a column for the Indianapolis Business Journal a week or so ago about how I like 15-year mortgages mm -hmm. more than 30-year mortgages. And there was a comment, which I'm going to read because it's just it's interesting. You and I have been talking about it today. It, it is, uh, oh, how nice it would be for the 15-year mortgage to be an option for many of us, quote-unquote, intelligent people, which I reference in the column. Pete, let's see, $27,000 a year in childcare costs, student loans, car payments, daily living expenses, and unexpected expenses and repairs uh, to live in a modest home in a safe area with good schools. Dame, what that person just described are all choices. Yeah, and I, I hear a lot of frustration in that as well. It's not that they are disputing the um, validity of, of, of your preference of 15-year yeah. versus 30-year mortgages that they have gotten to a point in their life where that's just not reasonable without some absolutely major lifestyle changes. And some of those will free up and become available in another five, six, seven, ten years, whatever the case may be. Uh, or or they could do something really radical and you know sell a house and, and move into a less expensive living. But for whatever reason, they just don't want to do that right now. And, and that's fine. Yeah, I'm not criticizing the person as much as it is to say that every expense they just talked about here are actual choices. Yeah, sure. In, in, in goal setting, good, bad, or otherwise, could help influence those choices. And like you said, there is a period in time, especially when you have young children, you are just on a financial treadmill, mm -hmm. and your goals do not go backwards. So these ideal situations, like having a 15-year mortgage instead of a 30, aren't practical but man, you nailed it. There, there's some frustration in that. There's a lot some of frustration. Venting. Yeah, I get it. I, I get it. You know, sometimes when you see someone describing or living an ideal financial situation, and you're seeing it from afar, it it's tough because it makes you look internally as to like, man, what are we doing? Where where did? Why can't we do what they're sure. doing? Yeah, I do that. If I'm being honest, comparison is an absolute killer, especially when it comes to financial circumstances. You know, I look at other small businesses, medium-sized businesses. You know, that don't compete with ours, but they're sort of structured like ours. And I look at stability or something like that. I'm like, wow, man, wouldn't that, wouldn't that be nice? Mm -hmm. I guess we need to do more goal setting. Is that what we're saying? <laughs> yeah. All right, Dame. Coming up after the break, we're going to talk about what is, you know, the peanut butter to goal setting's jelly, which is accountability. Mm -hmm. They go hand in hand. And having someone hold you accountable to your financial goals and your financial decisions is vitally important. So we'll help you identify who that person is and how to maintain that relationship. I'm Pete the Planner, and this is the show. Back on the Pete the Planner show, talking accountability dame accountability yeah my, my wife's a cpa so this is going to work really well man I, I would love to sit in on one of your guys's money conversations i, I mean that i'm not joking i, I your your wife's so level-headed when it comes to money and the way accountants brains work um uh, 
I'd love to be part of that conversation. Can't you just imagine the the fire that we have in our house between a, a certified financial planner and a CPA and and all the, uh, the the great conversations that we have? There's a be sure not to invite them to parties joke in there, but it seems offensive, so I'm not going to. You do wouldn't it. be the first to try and say, to say that joke. I've been at parties with both of you. You have. Yeah. Yeah. One. Yeah. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah. Uh, so accountability is an interesting thing for someone's financial life. And I think the best way to get your head around it is to think about who holds you accountable for your health and your fitness and your nutrition. And I think that's where a lot of people just go completely off track. So let's start with health, nutrition, and fitness, Dame. Who holds you accountable outside of the mirror to your health, nutrition, and fitness? Um, it, it would be my my spouse, my wife. I mean, she does her very best to encourage and promote healthy decisions, whether that's, hey, let's uh, go take the kids on a bike ride or let's go uh, you know, for a, a quick walk and a walk or jog with the kids or, or you know, I'm, I'm making uh, vegetables tonight uh, <laughs> to the eye roll of everybody else in the house. Yeah. Uh, and she, she does her very best to make sure that I'm as healthy as I possibly can be. You know, you bring up a really nuanced point here. Sometimes accountability isn't heavy-handed. It's the leadership of suggestion. Sure. My, I was in Nashville, Tennessee all week. And, and let me say, man, Nashville is an amazing place. You know, I've never spent significant time there. I have, but not like I did this past week. Mm-hmm. Man, it's awesome. It's great. Anyway, uh, <laughs> before I left... I was at like a four-day conference, so I was like there the whole time. My wife said, you know, this will be a good opportunity for you to really, you know, make a lot of prog- progress fitness-wise. You'll have a lot of time to yourself. And mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, that's, that's, that's great. And then I got in the car, and I'm driving down there. I'm like, hot chicken. Like, I'm, I'm just going <laughs> to eat. I went, it was a wellness conference. I gained like 10 pounds. Not really, but it felt like it. Yeah, I think accountability, especially when it comes to financial lives, is complex because of two main reasons. Number one, we are raised by different people from our significant others or accountability partners. So what is deemed as reasonable or prudent is different from the person we're talking to. Sure. Right. Reason number two is at the end of a long day, at the end of uh, what you're dealing with in your life in the moment, jobs, kids, relationships. And you have to purposefully step in front of a financial bus to tell someone that they've done something wrong. That stinks, Dame. Absolutely. But what I've found is that when I know I'm going to be held accountable, those decisions start to decrease over time. I I, I know that I'm going to you know, pit my pride against my, my desire for whatever that is and know that I don't want to have to show my spouse at the end of the month when we, we look at those statements and have to explain my, my decision-making process for, for doing that boneheaded move. That, that's, that is why a dedicated time, a forum for discussion is so important because if you're trying to hold someone accountable and there are no standards or rules then it seems like sniping or griping or, or you know or whatever term you want to use for two spouses sort of biting at each other verbally. But when there is a forum and an expectation and more importantly, a goal, then it matters. Because Dame, let's say you don't have a goal, 
you guys spend too much dining out one month and you're like, wow, we spent too much dining out one month. Who cares? What's the matter? Exactly. Yeah, if you can, if you can establish some goals, um, and however you, know, you want to do that, whether it's you know you work on one for you and, and one for your significant other, or you know, however you want to establish that, that's fine. But I don't think there's too many things more endearing than having proof on a, a re- on a regular basis. See, that, see, yeah. look right there. Yeah, but it's just saying, you know what? I, we are committed to each other. And each other's well-being, each other's financial health, and, and trying to accomplish whatever goal that may be because it matters to me just like it matters to you. Let's not leave out the people who aren't in a romantic relationship, committed relationship. Exactly. Like, how can a person who doesn't have a significant other in their life right now, how can they find that accountability? It's a little bit trickier to try and find somebody that's going to... Um, that you can get to that level on that you can trust with your your day-to-day financial stuff or even if it's just to allow them to ask you the tough questions because so much of of what we do relationship wise now is is really pretty superficial and letting somebody get in your kitchen like that and and you know giving them some access that many people don't get is is a, a very vulnerable feeling and let's come full circle here. That's why I bring up the medical and health version of this, because some people use their doctor's appointments to hold them accountable to their health. But here's the problem with that, Dame. If I'm going to the doctor once a year or once every three years or whatever people do, that's not real accountability. No. And if you go to your financial advisor once a year or th- once every three years, and you think that's the person that's holding you accountable specifically for the bigger types of goals, which it turns out in the last segment, we didn't talk about the last type of goal. Just hit me. Accumulation goals. Oh, yeah. We missed that one, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, accumulation goals and retirement, yeah. college, you know, the savings. Anyway, if you don't have the sort of relationship with your financial advisor where they're holding you accountable by saying, you are not putting enough away for retirement, and that's a problem, so much so that if you, unless you're going to do it, I don't want to work with you. Yeah, I think um, accountability is a really telling mark of a good financial advisor. Absolutely. And rare. Uh, you know, way more rare than it should be. Um, because you know, for the most part, advisors are out there looking for people either getting ready to retire or in retirement. Or just left a job. Or just left a job. <laughs> and uh, kind of wash their hands of all the, the dirty, icky work that, that goes along with it. So accountability, if you can find somebody to help you get from where you're at, to a future goal, oh man, keep that person around. Uh, that that's a diamond in the rough. You know, I've I feel like what I like about our organization and how we serve people in the workplace, specifically with your money line, is that we can be that layer of accountability mm-hmm. because we love the dirty work, mm-hmm. and, and that's also why we end up fitting nicely alongside financial advisors. I don't know why I'm going through this right now, but because I I don't mind being someone's accountability partner. You don't mind being someone's yeah. accountability partner. You know, if you think about the 10 qualities a financial advisor needs, a great financial advisor needs, I feel like accountability, true, bust your chops accountability is is lacking in most financial advisors. They may have all other nine of the qualities, maybe, but they don't have that 10th. Yeah, and I part of me wonders if, if more advisors don't have it because the clients don't want it. Well, 
that's an inter- interesting perspective that I agree with and disagree with. So that makes for good radio. It's want versus need at that point. Sure. They certainly need it and they want it. And I would argue the fact that you're paying a fee to your advisor, especially if it's a fee-based relationship, you want it because otherwise you're just wasting your money. Like, what's the point? Sure. Be in the market. Just yeah. Yeah. Uh, be the market. We could we could probably spend a whole segment on on how this. And I think we've probably talked about it at length in the past. What a, a good relationship with your advisor looks like. But man, this should be a cornerstone of that relationship. I agree. And I, I mean, I back to fitness. I look at my own fitness right now. I still I work out um, very frequently. But my workouts are not the quality they were when I had a personal trainer. Mm-hmm. She held me accountable. Every Monday, I stepped on the scale, and I would I'd have lots of funny jokes to deflect the results. But I was in a lot better shape. I was a lot healthier because it was that level of accountability. And I think people need to seek that out, whether it be with the professionals they work with, with uh, their significant other, and try to develop that trust, or you know, just a friend or a trusted family member. And so with, with that, we head to break. Come back with Biggest Waste of Money of the Week right here on the Pete the Planner Show. I'm Pete the Planner. This week's biggest waste of money of the week right here on the Pete the Planner Show is... Dame, I got two for you. Let's have them. Do you want the really dumb one or the really dumb one? The really dumb one. All right. The Ian DeLuca Diamond AirPods. As Apple's AirPods have become more and more ubiquitous, more and more people are looking for ways to customize them. LA-based designer Ian DeLuca decided on a far-from-subtle approach. Limited to just 25 pairs, his object number one AirPods are cast in white gold, then adorned with 1,000 individual VVS natural mined diamonds. Each set has its edition number and creation date inscribed and arrives with custom marble charging stand. So, you know, AirPods, right? Mm-hmm. They're like golf tees that you put in your ears. Yeah. Uh, $20,000. Okay. <laughs> Someone, someone's going to buy these. I, you know what? I've always wondered how I could put earwax onto a diamond. <laughs> Wait a second. We got an email this week. With another person saying you were funny. Oh, that's two in a row. Am I I'm putting that in jeopardy now? Is well, no. What? I just laughed out loud <laughs> at your joke. My numbers are going up. Yeah. You know what? You're a funny guy. Plain and simple. Uh, $20,000, though. That's a lot. All right. Do you want the other dumb thing? Yes. All right. The other dumb thing. Looking for it. Looking for it. Looking for it. Here it is. The Wasp Flamethrower Drone. Made to easily attach to any drone platform with a payload capacity of five pounds or more, the TF-19 Wasp can turn your airborne tool into a powerful fire-breathing machine. Its one-gallon fuel capacity provides 100 seconds of firing time with a reliable plasma arc ignition system, a range of 25 feet, and a lightweight carbon fiber body that helps maximize flight time. Legal on a federal level and not technically considered a weapon, You'll still want to check local ordinances before you start lighting up the skies. What do you think this flamethrower drone costs? Actually, it's an attachment for a drone. What do you think? Um, twelve hundred bucks. Oh man, pretty good. One thousand four hundred ninety-nine dollars. What's the practical use for this flamethrower drone? 
if I was in agriculture, I'd say to help make sure that your um, like ditches were, were staying clean. Um, you or, burn ditches? Yeah, sure. I've l- this is not going to surprise you. I've never heard of ditch burning. I've heard of witch burning. <laughs> That's not a joke. I, it's just a... Yeah, it's, it, 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 uh, farmers uh, need to maintain their, their land, and they often use fire to do that. That seemed real condescending the way you said that. Well, whatever. Uh, so millennials agree on the best way to invest. Oh, we've moved on to current financial uh, financial current. This events. is not a bomb. This is financial events. Millennials agree on something, and they agree on what they believe to be the best way to invest. Dame, they say real estate, which makes them it's wrong. It's an interesting choice. Yeah, that's that's not where you would go. For young people, it's especially true that uh, uh, people want to know the best way to invest among millennials. Those ages 23 to 38, 36% say real estate is the best long-term investment option. Zero-risk cash investments, such as high-yield savings accounts or CDs, came in second with 18% of respondents, while the stock market took third with 16% of respondents. What in the bloody heck is going on? I'm guessing, I mean, and here, by the way, they're classifying millennials as ages 23 to 38. I think that's that's appropriate. Okay, so yeah. uh, some of some of these participants or respondents remember seeing their parents just going through absolute misery when the stock market was going was was tanking, and then the, probably lost their houses, which made then the house a poor investment too. I think honestly, I I try not to get too caught up in like financial literacy, which sounds crazy because people assume we're in financial literacy business, but this is. This is a really obvious gap in financial literacy. Yeah. Yeah. There's some serious misunderstanding on uh, how to build long-term wealth. 16% of respondents think that the stock market, 16% of respondents think the stock market is the best long-term option. And that is less than people putting money in cash and CDs. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's That's terrifying. Yeah. I... where where did they pick this idea up? I, I have no idea. I don't even I don't even know where to start asking intelligent questions about this. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. Why do they have the idea that cash is a better long term? Nothing could be further from the truth. Literally burying it in the yard is the only worse option. Yeah, I it's. it's it's crazy. I, it's, I would love to, I would love to have conversations with some of these people. This week, New Jersey Senator and presidential contender Cory Booker became the first Democrat in the race to propose a relatively detailed long-term care plan. He deserves credit for raising an issue that until now has mostly been ignored by the nearly 5 million presidential candidates on the Democratic side. His idea is based largely on a major expansion of Medicaid long-term services and supports uh, long-term LTSS, I don't know what that is. Do you, I have not heard any candidate other than now Cory Booker talk about long-term care as an issue in the election. I feel like everyone's going for the younger population. Is he making a play for for the seniors? Senior citizens, uh, long-term services and supports, LTSS. There you go. Um, yeah, I, you know, 
so much of politics and it seems like even though we don't want to talk about it it keeps coming back here but you know so, so much of politics is for that attention grab and a way to uh, i don't want to say buy voters attention but you know buy voters attention and seniors and and soon to be seniors have a number of concerns long-term care happens to be one of them because it is not cheap and if they can figure out a way to get some assistance in a long-term care facility or have that part of their their um, needs covered then they're probably going to listen to it america's child care crisis uh, has us knowing that it costs an average of 213 dollars per week at a child care center which is up 14 and a half percent from five years ago Weekly national average costs for a nanny are now five hundred and ninety-six dollars a week, up two hundred or pardon me, up twenty-six percent from twenty fourteen, and thirty-eight percent of people surveyed suggest that these increases in childcare costs have caused them to change jobs. Thirty-six uh, percent have asked for more flexible work schedules. Dame, I know this is news because by nature, the fact that we just read it on a program and it is a news article, but yeah, costs go up. Yeah. I don't um, know. Newsflash, kids are expensive. I really are. And we're not, you know, we're, we're not uh, being condescending here. No. We get it. We've dealt with it. We are dealing, dealing. with it. And uh, of course, I, sometimes when you're like, well, I've had to go to get a different job. Yeah. That's what you had to do. Yeah. That's that's making ends meet. Oh, I had to ask for a flexible work schedule. Perfect solution. It's that that uh, joy of adulting that we talk about so much. Sometimes they see articles that that are you know, framed in the you know categories of a complaint, when in fact it's just reality. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with the fact that you have to make hard budget decisions in order to deal with your current financial priority, which in the moment may be childcare. Everyone in history has had to deal with that, and the, the costs have always gone up. Nothing is different. This story could be printed every single year. What, with, a di- with a different focus. Yeah, in every category. Yeah. Are we, I, I'm an old cranky guy today now. That's all right. Dame, this week on the show, we talked about uh, accountability. We talked about goals. We yep. talked about our stock market update. Look at us. It's a great show. It was adequate. Uh, Dame, will be around next week? Planning on it. All right, we'll see what happens. Uh, thanks for listening to the show. If you want to email us, do so, and we will answer your question on the air. Ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com. That's ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com. That's all we have time for this week. Send any good vibes because good vibes are all that's in the budget. I'm Pete the Planner. That's Damian Dunn, and this is the show. Mm-hmm.